What's up, everyone, and welcome to the 10th episode of Shooting the Breeze. I'm your host, Max Hooper, and the purpose of this podcast is for me to share my unique basketball experiences and perspectives while also sharing those of my guests. For those of you who aren't aware, my entire senior season at Oakland University, I did not attempt one two-point field goal, but I took a whole lot of threes, 257 of them as a matter of fact. I've always prided myself in being a great shooter, and that is what continues to propel my basketball career. So yep, you guessed it. On this show, we'll be talking shooting. Today I have a very special guest. He's currently the point guard for the Oklahoma City Blue, the D-League team, and that's Alex Caruso. I first met Alex last summer in LA during the NBA uh, pre-draft workout process where we are represented by the same agency, Wasserman. He played four years of college basketball at Texas A&M. Last summer he attended training camp with the Oklahoma City Thunder prior to the season this year. And today, Alex and I will talk about, you know, what makes someone a great defender, what it's like to play in the NBA D-League, his job on the floor as a point guard, and much more. So without any further ado, what's up, Alex? Great to have you on the show. I'm glad you could have me on. Uh, I'm excited to, to shoot the breeze. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, what it, that's what it is. You know, we're, uh, we're actually catching Alex at, a, at an interesting time. You know, we just got back from a road trip last night, so maybe a little beat up from the from the game and at, you know at a point in the season where it's been it's been a grind of a season but um you know Alex you're a guy who's j- just getting his j- just finding his way in professional basketball you know just uh just getting going um first year playing in the NBA D League uh, but let's rewind a little bit just for for those who listening you know might not uh you know might not know uh much about your basketball career just because like I said you're just getting rolling and we might not have too many uh a&M faithful listening yet but uh <laughs> hopefully after this one maybe not but, yet yeah uh you know so let's just let's just uh rewind in your basketball journey and let's just talk about you know when did this you know first start to you know get real like real for you and when did you first start to gain attention you know you thought you might have a chance you know play at a high division one playing professionally what like when can you pinpoint that in high school you know maybe when you started to get attention or something like that what just yeah just, yeah yeah so yeah, so my my junior year going into my senior year, that's the last year that you can play uh, AAU or summer ball, and uh, I kind of just came out of nowhere. I was always just just kind of enjoying basketball and thought it was cool, uh, enjoyed playing in high school, and then all of a sudden, I guess I realized that I could probably play in college, and uh, it went from from being recruited from guys like Sam Houston State, Northern Colorado. Mm-hmm. And me just being super excited just to be like, oh, man, I'm going to be able to play basketball in college to eventually get an offer from uh, A&M. And me being from College Station where Texas A&M is, that was like the biggest deal to me. That was like a dream school. So it, it, it kind of just happened out of the blue. Uh, I blew up that summer. And then the same thing in college to, to play professionally towards the end of my career, I, I kind of just developed into – developed into my body and the skill set and and started to get a little more attention and, and now here i am just taking it one day at a time trying to see what the future holds right yeah that's a i, I kind of threw that question out there early because i i remember because i remember back in the day back in the aau days there was the i think the pangos camp you know would you was that like a coming out party of yours um yeah I, pangos I was a big yeah. was a big camp, and then I pl- that uh, the Vegas, the Easter Classic in mm-hmm. Vegas, my my junior and, and junior after my junior year, I guess. Right, because you know you yeah. know how it is with the you know the camps, and there's all the YouTube highlights, and then um, it's I all think about it, visibility with it, yeah. Exactly, I think I had a friend who was putting on the camp or something like that, and they said that you know there's this skinny little kid running around dunking, and 
skinny little white kid running around dunking with like with like a mustache or whatever and i'm like i don't know who this kid is and then you know sure enough that's uh, me exactly exactly so um that's why i want to ask that question you know just to trace it and, and it's interesting you know you say sam houston and Col- northern colorado you're you're just happy to happy to even have schools just paying attention to you and then and then For real, so, yeah. it was almost like an overnight type thing would you say or Dude, it really was it, it right. went it was like it was like a two-month process of me just having fun playing au because that's what you do when you play basketball mm-hmm. to all right well now i'm doing this for a reason i'm doing it to get noticed and i'm doing it to try and play basketball in college so it was a big swing but i mean i i i honestly just just had a lot of fun with it like the more i think about it i was just out there just playing free and and enjoying the game and i think that's what helped me play so well i guess i hear you i like that and um so so i mean i'm not from so how exactly close are you your home to, to texas a&m like how close is that so my parents house is a i'd say a 10 minute drive if you oh, don't man. if you don't get stopped by any lights from from right. the center of campus so did you grow up going to the games and everything yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually there's a big joke uh, around all of A and M, and anytime we played on on TV, the commentators would always tell them because I was a, I was a ball boy mm-hmm. for the, the team when I was younger, and that was the go to line uh, for every every color commentator that would that would bring up some facts about Alex Crusoe in the past. Right. So, I, yeah, I grew up going to A and M games, being an Aggie. So I mean, I was a I was an Aggie fan before I I was a player or student. Uh, right. So afterwards, so as soon as they came calling, you know, it was. And you got the scholarship offer. It was pretty much a done deal, would you say? It was honestly, it was pretty close. I, uh, I loved A and M. Nobody other than Colorado really grabbed my attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tell people all the time. I think if I wasn't from College Station, I would have ended up going to Colorado. Got uh, it. I just really, I really like Coach, uh, Coach Boyle, and, and the assistants they had. I had good relationships with them. It was just a good spot. But in the end, I couldn't leave home. Understood. Understood. So. Let's um. So you know that that touches you know familiar familiarizes people a little bit with your journey. But let's talk about your your journey as a player. You know how do you feel your game is different now from col from college? How is your game different from high school? How did you what what were you originally as a player, and how have you how has that transformed over 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 the course of time? Yeah, so I think I think each level of basketball that I've gone to, I've I've obviously gained some type of skill and and, mm-hmm. and athleticism because you have to, to to progress. But I think as a player, uh, I think it was it's it's developed more into like me having to think and and, and prepare for games because I mean high school you go out you're just kind of playing you're just having fun. College sure. you go you do some scouting, you uh you do skill work and you you get ready for games and now. Uh, at the professional level, I'm realizing that you have to do a lot more to prepare for the game, physically and mentally. Like watch film, you got to study breakdowns of of how you play, how the other teams play, and then physically, you got to take care of your body. Just being ready to play every game. Uh, I mean, we play 50 games, and and that's 32 less than the NBA. So, I think, I think from that aspect, just being ready to play, uh, it's, it's just it gets more intense every level. Uh, as far as skill wise, I think. I think just being uh, more of an offensive threat. Cause, I mean, I've always I've always been a good defender. I've always been able to to see the open man and pass and play in transition. Uh, and like you said, the the sneaky athleticism for the white guy, I get credit <laughs> for that. Right. Uh, so I think just just slowing the game down on offense and and realizing when when to attack and when to when to set up teammates. I think that's where I've really grown uh, from college to to this year. Got it. 
Got it. So, so you, you, you know, in college you were all 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 conference uh, defensive team, and you've kind of established yourself, like you said, you kind of established yourself early on as a defensive player. Is that just something you, um, you know, that you were gifted with, or was it just a mentality? How how did that come about? You know, did you take pride in be, being known as the lockdown defender? Yeah. So I think that kind of that kind of goes along with the progression of me as a player. Uh, I think the, the more, like we talked about, uh, the more you have to like study the game, the more you realize like where to be. And I think I just got really good at, at thinking the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I was never the most athletic. Granted, I am more athletic than I probably should be for a white guy. Sure. But, but I've never been the most athletic, the quickest, the strongest. Uh, I think, I think for me, it's more about just, just wanting a will to will to get a stop, you know, like taking it personal. And coaches talk about that all the time, but I think that I really took that to heart and uh, realized that if I do that, I stay on the floor more. Like you'll 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 be in the game more if a, if a coach can rely on you to to be solid defensively and, and guard somebody. So I think just realizing those two things, uh, I think those really helped me just to to improve myself and to realize that if I wanted to play, I'd have to be a good defender. And and honestly, I just enjoy it. Like, I enjoy stopping other people. I enjoy frustrating somebody who's used to scoring 20 points a game or, or taking on the challenge. I just really enjoy uh, enjoy that part of the game. Right. Yeah, no, and um, it's interesting because uh, I don't know if you caught it, but the, there was a, a Sports Illustrated for kids. Uh, they, they let a kid into the press conference when Frank Martin With, was uh, in Yeah. In yeah, the, um, yeah, so for those who, you know, who are listening who didn't catch it, they, they – uh, typically, you know, a post game press conference is super, super serious and super, um, you know, stressful because all the writers are trying to put together their post game stories and whatnot. But they let this kid ask Frank Martin, you know, the head coach of South Carolina, one of the, you know, they let him ask a question. And it was so when you're playing, you know, when, when the, I'm going to paraphrase him a little bit, but when you're, you're playing defense when, or when your team's playing defense, do you think the most important thing is technique or is it an attitude, a mentality? And, he paused for a second and, you know, told the kid, you know, that's one of the best questions I've ever been asked. But I think that, um, and then he proceeded to answer, you know, by far it's mentality. It's pretty much just hands down. I'm not, I'm not going to let this guy score and I'm, and I'm going to, um, I'm going to stop him. And, and like you said, you know, you take pride in that, you enjoy shutting down a player. And I think then once you have that mentality and then you couple it with, you know, the technique and like you said, this, the scouting reports and thinking the game, and you know you yourself, you know, got some physical tools. Six four, six five as a point guard, pretty good length. You know, being able to just do things physically that other guys wouldn't be able to do. So, I think when you can marry all those things together with the you know the gifts, the mentality, the technique, and the preparation, I think that's when you really become a great defender. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. When I saw that video clip of Coach Martin, uh, mm-hmm. I, I I thought he hit it nail on nail on the head because I mean he. He described it perfectly. Like you have to have a passion and you have to have a will to want to do it before you can teach any technique. Because I mean, you can you can drill it and want to teach them every little footwork, hand, stick, hand, box out. But I mean, if they don't want to do it and have a passion for doing it, it's not gonna it's not gonna be successful. No doubt, and and it just comes down to competing. You know what I mean? Because either you want to stop the guy, and because yeah. and, it all the little the little things they sum up to to either winning or not. So if you want if you want to win or not, you're gonna you're gonna um, take those things personally, so that's you know the defensive side of the ball. But you know, I was I was to prepare for this. You know, I look at you know look at your stats, look at et cetera, et cetera. And 
never once in college did you average double figures. You know what I mean? And yeah. now you're in the NBA D League, over almost averaging 12 a game, um, pretty much the same assists. You know, five six assists a game. But so how? What? What changed from last season to this season? You know, what what is so different about you know maybe the D League game or the system that you're in? What what do you think can account for that? You know, I think a big, uh, I think there's two things that I think there's, there's one, there's so many possessions in the game and there's so many more sure. shots. There's, That's just there's like, simple. Yeah. 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 There's an availability for, for me to get more shots up and, and just, I guess, be aggressive. And the second part is, is just kind of knowing my role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in college, my role, we didn't, we didn't need me to take 10 shots a game. We needed sure. me to take open shots and, and play in transition. And now, with the uh, the Oklahoma City Blue, uh, there's so much more space on the floor, and there's there's a lot more opportunity to attack whenever I have the ball. So I think I think it goes back to like we talked about that progression from college to to professional. It's me realizing when to attack, and and if I have a hot hand, I mean confident, just shoot the ball, uh, come off a of pick and roll, making the right play. And and a lot of times in college, I think I I thought the right play was always to to set up my teammate or to to make the unselfish play but sometimes the smartest play is to go take a layup or or take an open jump shot so I think a lot of it has to do with with my confidence and progression as an offensive player just kind of realizing and picking my spots Uh, and I think the other part of it is just that there's like we said there's so many possessions in a game you you, you gotta shoot the ball eventually right right yeah I mean that makes that it all makes sense but you know just the casual fan would be like, well, this guy couldn't even average 10 points in college, but now he's doing this in the D-League. You know, what happened? But I think, you know, someone who really knows the game and understands the differences between the levels would, would understand. But it's but it's still, nonetheless, it's an interesting thing. And, I mean, you your senior year at, you know, at Texas A&M, you played on a, a team with two two guys averaging 15 points a game and taking the bulk of, sh- bulk of the shots. So, um, yeah. That makes and sense. Really, and also a really talented freshman post player that we had to get the ball to, too. He shot like 65% from the field. So yeah. there, was, there was more than enough shots that needed to go around. So Totally. I mean, like, yeah, like totally you said, I, yeah, just realizing my role, and, and it goes back to that competition thing. Uh, I'm trying to win, so yeah. so whatever I got to do to win, that's You're not worried if you're do. averaging whatever, however many points. You're whatever, as long yeah. as you're, what you're doing is facilitating the team winning. And, I mean, the proof exactly. was in the pudding in your senior year. You know, you guys – um, had one of the best the best years in school history and made a made a, a, mem- a historical yeah. run in the tournament. So, yeah. it, 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 you know the the results speak for themselves. But um, the uh, I think so. Let's talk a little bit more about you know the the way the D League is different than college. I mean, obviously shorter shorter uh, shot clock, larger um, more more space on the court, larger three point uh, further three point lines. So what what do you think? are some of the biggest differences in terms of the way the offenses are run, you know, they're more free flowing, less set oriented. Uh, what, what are your, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely the free flowing part. I mean, there's, there's very few colleges uh, that I've watched that, that play the kind of the pace and the, the freedom that I think a lot of D league teams play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we have one of the better coaching staffs in the D league as far as getting guys in the right spots and, and, realizing those roles we talked about so i think we have we have pretty good structure within ours but it's still pretty free-flowing uh i was watching a college game the other day and uh they ran like two or three options out of one set and then pulled it back out and ran a high pick and roll with 10 seconds left and i was like man this is this is incredible like that you can run you can run three different plays in a right. college shot clock. 
And I was just I was just thinking about it, and I was like, man, I enjoy this 24 second shot clock so much more. Right. Because it it keeps the game going, the pace is up. Uh, I mean, like fans like to see scoring. There's obviously more scoring in the D league than college, mm-hmm. and I think it just creates a. Uh, I think it just creates better basketball, to be honest. Right. Uh, like obviously the players are are probably a little more talented than than your average college team. Of course. And and obviously that's going to create more opportunities to score but i think yeah i think the the shot clock really really helps keep the pace of the game and the flow of it going uh there's a lot of times in college you'll watch a team be real stagnant and the game will be in like the 50s and and even high 40s sometimes and i think that's not fun to watch for teams or for for fans uh and as much as those teams will probably claim like hey we don't really play for the fans we're playing to win Uh, I think it just makes the game more enjoyable, uh, player and fan. I think it, it, it just makes it funner, more fun to watch. Uh, and it's obviously it's it's a lot more fun to play. I mean, like we said, I didn't average double digits at all in college, and now I'm putting up like 11 or 12 and whatever the other stats are. I think it's just a lot more fun. Right, no doubt. And and just I think I think something that I've noticed, um, you know, I played a little bit in the D-League earlier this season, but the, just the thing about the D-League is that I think it's different than college is when a guy has an open shot, he takes it every single time. Yeah, and you have to. Whether that's yeah. one second into the shot clock or whether that's after you've reversed the ball multiple times. Whereas in college, I think I think coaches, I think there's a trust factor. You know, coaches might not trust certain guys to do certain things. And so a guy might have an open shot, but, you know, in, his ba- in the back of his mind, his coach is telling him, you know, that's not your shot or a, a variety of things. You know, all, all, all schools do things a little differently and um, – and I, yeah, can't, it, I can't just say there's one way that. that each college team plays, but, you know, it's uh, – I think that is a big thing. And Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Would you, no, you're good, you're good. I was just going to say that it goes back to that shot clock thing. I mean, mm-hmm. when you get an extra 10, 15 seconds to, to run offense, there's no need for your fourth fourth option on the team to take a shot 10 seconds into the shot clock. You can right. just pull it out, run another ball screen or another another action and, and get your number one score off of a, a wide pin or a, a down screen for a shot. So – I think that's that's a good point though that I mean as soon as you're open whoever's open you, you take your shot regardless of who it is where you are I mean as long as it's a shot they're comfortable taking you you got to take it right it's not saying you're running down and just firing up fadeaways but if if you're open off the first pass then that, you're not going to get a better shot than right the, than the point of an yet. offense is to get an open shot so why why yeah, wouldn't you shoot exactly. it and I think in college I think in college you know the D league just D league professional i don't even mean just d-league you know just professional basketball in general the players are they're they're getting paid for a reason and they're more developed their basketball iqs are more developed and um professionals yeah yeah and um the college game is just it just has a different nature and i think once you get out of it you after having you know not watched college for a lot of this season then you know i went i watched some of the some of the um conference tournaments or whatever and i'm like man this is this is kind of brutal to watch at times. Yeah, some of it um, is. Yeah, that's. But uh, it's it's a it's a funny thing because every every team has their own thing. But like you said, you know, a team might run one two actions and be like, no, we don't like it. We don't like it. Back it out. Let's run another thing. You know. Yeah. And it's even crazier because they did shorten the shot clock from earlier in year in my career. It was thirty five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our freshman sophomore years, it was. I mean, it was a thirty five second shot clock. That's right. That's not very many possessions in the game. That's a long, long defensive stand if, you, uh, if you're a good defensive team. No doubt about it. So, so you touched on this a little bit, but um, you're, 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 
you know, you're almost at the end of your first first year in your D League, uh, first D League season. But you know, you talked about the coaching staff there, and you know, you had some great coaches at um, Texas A&M, Billy Kennedy and his staff, etc. Talk about maybe one or two coaches who you think has had a significant, you know, a significant impact on you, and just talk about that so far. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, obviously. Uh, any coach that I've ever had, I've I've been able to take something from them. And, of course, and of course. But I think my uh, I think my head coach at A and M really really kept me on the right path, mm-hmm. uh, helped me grow up. I think as as a as a kid to a to an adult and just as a man to to realize uh, how to run a team, how to lead. Uh, I think Coach Kennedy really helped me uh, develop into that, and and the assistants, of course, did a great job pushing me to. Uh, Kyle Keller, he's the head coach at SFA now. He's the guy that recruited me through high school, so I have a good relationship with him. And then uh, Coach Amir. Coach Amir's at A&M now. He's an assistant. He played under Coach Kennedy. Uh, he's a little younger, so it's it's a lot easier to relate with him. Sure. And I think I think he does a really good job of of reaching the players from a different aspect. You know, like you you can you can get yelled at and and motivated, but but whenever you need to pull a pull a player to the side and talk to him and just talk to him about life, I think that's that's what he really uh, does exceptionally. I think I think he's really good at that, and and that's why I think so many players like him that were on the team. Uh, and then this year, I think I think my head coach right now, uh, Coach Mark Dagnall, he used to be at Florida with with Billy Donovan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually coached against me when I was younger at A and M, my freshman or sophomore year. Sure, uh, he's helped me just do the same thing, but but at a higher level. I think develop more of a basketball sense, just just realizing the program realizing like we've talked about like everything i've said when to attack how to run a team uh the flow of the game and then different situations just just learning everything that i can to to improve and and try and be the best basketball player i can i think i think each year i've i've improved and i think those guys are a big part of that yeah no doubt and i actually had i was with oklahoma for summer league so i i was around mark a little bit you know obviously summer league is a short-term deal but uh yeah mark mark coach dagno he's a guy who um from my experience just he's super super aware of everything that's going on in the court and super aware of certain situations and yeah pretty much it, it feels like he always has something you know something up his sleeve and like i said i was only there for a few games so and you've been there for a whole season but he's just a guy super high basketball iq and feels like uh, almost, yeah almost that's anytime he, go ahead go ahead yeah, yeah no i'm just i'm just reiterating what you're saying uh Super great IQ for the game. Uh, all these little ins and outs of the program, uh, the program like the two for one situations, the 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 timeouts at the end. Uh, just just learning how to manage all that and learning how to uh, take advantage. I think of defenses and, and offenses. He's just helped me really develop that that mental aspect of the game and thinking it through. And throughout the course of the season, I've been able to speed it up a little bit. And now that I'm I'm making calls and we're we're having open dialogue with it rather than him just coaching me and helping me out, which I think has helped our team a lot. Uh, just just having two two facilitators of of what we're trying to do uh, on the court and then him on the sideline. Right. Yeah. That, and that's a hell of an opportunity because you know sometimes um, you know young young professional players might not get the chance to to learn and be nurtured, but the the D League has given you perfect opportunity to do so so this goes along with this a little bit but let's talk and we already touched on it just a little bit earlier but let's go more into this i want to talk about um 
you know, how important is it? Do you think for for a team to how how or how how much better is a team that has you know the roles defined that has players understanding what their role is and what they bring to the court? How how much better is a team that has that compared to one that doesn't? And how does yeah, that set think, them apart? I think that just it just proves uh, how important it is, you know, to 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 win at a high level and to to win consistently. You have to have guys that that'll accept their roles and, and plan to the best of their ability. Like we have a guy on our team, uh, Cam Woods. Mm-hmm. He played at Butler. He he's not an offensive option at all, but we know that he's like I say not an offensive option. We don't run plays for Cam. Sure. That, yeah. I'll put it like that. He's he's an option. Like he he can make a shot and he he's really good around the rim. But we don't run plays for him, but he knows that his role is to rebound and defend and his versatility at six eight, six nine, really lengthy, mm-hmm. uh, quick feet gives us the gives us the option to switch one through four, one through five, depending on what he's playing. And and he knows that and he comes comes into work every day, uh, ready to, to accept his role and, and to play the best he can. And then vice versa. I mean, Dakari Johnson's on our team. Uh, he's a post guy. I went to Kentucky for anybody that doesn't know him. Mm-hmm. And he's our scorer. I mean, we, we run post ISOs for him, and he knows that when he gets the ball, his job is to go up and score. And then on reverse side of that is his job is to box out, get the rebounds, and then and then run the floor. And he does an exceptional job of that. And I think that's why we've had so much success this year uh, with the team that I'm on. Is that regardless of what our roles are, if it's if it's leading score, if it's uh, me being the point guard, putting guys in the right spots, or, or Cam Woods guarding the best player and, and being versatile, I think it just it just proves how much you need to accept roles, regardless of what level you're at, in order to win. No doubt, no doubt, and and, and with accepting roles, sometimes you know, sometimes not all, not for every player, but sometimes it involves you know swallowing your pride a little bit and not. And guys just have to realize that you know not every player is going to shoot twenty shots, or not every player is going to be the the star scorer. But you, but it's not it's not just about that. It's about having a tremendous impact and being able to contribute, add value, and contribute to winning. And um, I think once a once a team you know de- defines its roles and it does a good job of that, that they can a player can grow in their role once yeah. they have that uh, you know that that initial thing that they bring. They can. I mean, it, it comes full circle too. The more the more you invest in your teammates and your role mm-hmm. in in winning, the more you you'll personally gain, and mm-hmm. that's happened. I mean, that's shown up time and time again, from high school to college to to professionally. Just realizing that once guys sacrifice a little of themselves for the greater good of the team, uh, it it comes full circle, and and they get some type of return out of it. Right, and and you know sometimes in nowadays, you know. There, people will say the, the phrase, you know, oh, he's just a role player, or oh, he's this and he's that, and I kind of, I kind of chuckle because, um, you know, at the highest level in the NBA, there's, I don't know how many star, you know, quote unquote star players, but there's a, a select few star players, and everyone else is role players, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but uh, <laughs> sure. there's some pretty good uh, paychecks being handed out to role players, so I don't think. I tell you what, if you you can you can be really good at something and get paid a lot of money to exactly. do it. Exactly. So I I just hate when people you know scoff. Oh, he's just a role player or whatever. It's just you know. A team is the sum of all the all the people playing their roles. So I don't think that you know the term yeah. role player is kind of uh, I don't know almost outdated at this point. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of, a little uh, overused and outdated for sure. Yeah, but it's just it's just you know the casual observer you know may not under like you you, okay, you use the example Cameron Woods you know the casual observer may be like oh he only averages four points 
but you know someone who's really watching the team and or, doesn't realize the impact he has yeah someone who Which really knows what they're looking has, at they're like yeah. that kid has a huge impact and whether it's accounted for in the stats or not you know it it uh those who really know basketball it definitely uh you know it's definitely it's definitely noticed but um so you know i named the podcast shooting the breeze you know it's it's a aptly name because you know i'm a three-point shooter and that's what i do that's my role mm-hmm. on, a, on any team i'm on so let's talk a little bit about shooting um you know if you can you know someone's asking you you know for your advice what would what would be your three most important aspects of shooting the, or three major keys of shooting the ball in your opinion um, for me, I think I think the first thing is repetition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you obviously, if you're going to be a good shooter, uh, you look at all the good shooters in the league right now of, of all time. I mean, they they put in the work. Ray Allen, you know, there's the famous story of him doing his same routine four hours before the game for his whole career. Sure, uh, he didn't become a great shooter by just hoping he was going to be good or thinking he was good. He, he put in the the reps. So I think repetition. Um, I think a rhythm. And then I think spacing. I think it's in or, it's important for for guys that are good shooters to be able to know where to be on the floor, how to get their shots, how to set it up. And I mean, you can testify to that. I know. No I know you moving without the ball is one of the biggest things for shooters. Because I mean, if you can really shoot, you're gonna have a guy locked on you. There's no, they're not gonna just let you let you <laughs> sit out of there course. by yourself. Of course, uh, I wish they yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, I'm I bet kidding. you did. <laughs> if you did, it make your make your uh, life a lot easier. Yeah. And then uh, lastly, I think rhythm because I think I think just having confidence with it and, and being in rhythm is the most important thing because everybody's got different form. Everybody has kind of a different different style to their shot. So I think just being in rhythm and 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 letting it fly with confidence is is, is really important too. Right. I think I think you know repetition and rhythm you know those tie into the the mentality and the confidence of you know knowing when when the crowd's screaming at you and the game's on the line and you know you're ready to make those shots because you've repped them out and because you know you're confident you're comfortable and you're in a good rhythm and i think i think those are super key and then also like you said um spacing or you know what however you want to call it you know spacing if you're a great shooter and you can't get your shot off, then you're you're not a great shooter. You know what I mean? Then yeah. you're not good because you can't add value to your team because you can't put points on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know you need to space and move without the ball. You know the Richard Hamilton, uh, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller type. You know moving without the ball, running to the right. Yeah, spots. being able to set up a cut. You gotta yeah, being mm-hmm. able to move without the ball is, is probably a better way of putting it. Just being able to set yourself up to 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 get the shot off. Right, because if you can't get your shot off, then no, ma- you, no matter how good you are, then you you know you can't make it. Then why isn't you know the guy, the old man who hit two hundred threes in a row or whatever it was, you know the world record? Why isn't yeah. he playing in the NBA if he's the greatest shooter? Well, he can't get his shot off. So, exactly. um, yeah. So it's like uh, you know, there's a lot of different things. And then you know, you're, I've had I've had guys on the on my podcast who are you know from from the the shooter side of the perspective, but you're on kind of the other side of the thing where you're delivering the ball to the guy and you're. Um, <laughs> I mean, not that you can't shoot. I'm not trying to say you can't shoot or anything, but you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. You're, know. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say you're, a, you know, carved out as a role as a catch and shoot guy. You have a lot more dimensions to your so game big. than that. And but the value of catch and shoot, you know, guys is tremendously high, and your your ability as a point guard to play off those guys is super key as well, because I think I've talked yeah, about I mean, this they, before. They make my they make my life a lot easier sometimes. Yeah. Man. No doubt, and I was gonna I was gonna mention that. So what so what type of impact does a shooter have on on your game as a point guard? 
I mean, just as far as that spacing concept, just being mm-hmm. able to stretch the floor. Uh, in college, it's it's a lot harder because you can you can sit in the paint and, and the the three point line's closer, so there's not as much room to guard or or space to space to defend. Sure. And uh, in the professional ranks, no matter what league you're in, the, the line's a little further back. So just being locked in to to the shooters. I mean, if you're two steps off and the ball gets there, you're you're, you're late. If you're if your hands not up as soon as they catch it, you're late. So just having having defenses having to respect that and and stay locked on to shooters or not help as much it just opens up the paint and it opens up the driving lanes for me to be able to get into the paint or get in somewhere take a layup uh, or if they do help kick it to them and, and it's a knockdown shot so I think just just opening up the floor uh, it makes the offense run a lot smoother and, and creates more opportunities to score right and I I, th- I um when uh when the Cavaliers acquired Kyle Korver, they they you know reporters, they always you know ask LeBron you know his thoughts on acquisition and whatnot, and he he something you know I've because obviously I've been a three point shooter my whole life you know I've always prided myself on this. something he mentioned that I had never heard of was you know his job as the point guard, he watched he said he watched twenty five minutes of Kyle Korver clips and he learned exactly where he likes the ball. And I, I don't know if this was theatrics or not, but you know he said he said you know he likes the ball completely different than Channing Fry likes the ball than J.R. Smith likes the ball, so he, you know, extremely high IQ guy. He said he's trying to deliver the ball exactly where Kyle Korver wants it to give him the best chance of making it. And I just think that's such a interesting thing. You know, he's he's you know he's throwing these crazy acrobatic passes or whatever, and mm-hmm. able to deliver no, right on the money and customized for each guy knowing where he likes it i think that's just super interesting that really is and that's one thing that that one of my assistant coaches stresses to me all the time is is practicing perfect passing Mm -hmm. so no matter what drill it is no matter what five on oh offense or or live scrimmage or game uh every pass should be a perfect pass so right into the person's shooting pocket and, and it's just continually doing that and it ends up just happening as a habit rather than than having to think about throwing it and you'd be surprised uh, to, to people listen to this how much easier it is. I mean, you can you can testify to this yeah. when you catch the ball and it's just right in your it's right in the shooting pocket and it's just a simple motion up. Confidence is a lot better. Your rhythm's good. And even if you miss a shot, you still feel good about it. Right. Like the next time it comes around, you're not thinking about the miss. You're you're like, all right, well, this one's going in too. No doubt. So I think I think just being able to deliver the ball. Uh, on time and on target is is one of the biggest things for for helping shooters make shots. Yeah, and I love. I wonder if someone could. I don't know if this stat would even exist, but if someone could, you know, have a stack of you know perfect passes right in the shooting pocket compared to uh you know passes off, target, where it's yeah. off to the side or high or low. And I and I I'm sure I'm positive that uh it'd be a pretty big big uh percentage difference. You know just. Um, in terms of the, the the passer being able to make the shooter, and it's I mean it's just it's it's simple you know math or just simple it's just less of a motion to you know gather the ball or whatever it's just something so small but can make such a difference in the game. Um, it kind of goes back to that rhythm and repetition thing we were talking totally. about. Where, I mean the shooter knows they know their sweet spot. I mean it's like it's like every other sport. You know when you get to a certain spot. Uh, with the ball or on the field and whatever whatever sport you're in, you know that it's going to go in, and your confidence just automatically goes up. So, I think that's yeah, that's a really good point. That I mean, I'm sure the percentages are higher whenever whenever somebody catches it where wherever their specific sweet spot, I guess, and, and is. I'm, I'm sure that they're 
I'm sure there's some ESPN guy that can look. Some guys that. dug that yeah, stat there's, up for something. There's gotta be some some analytical wizard somewhere out right. there that can that can <laughs> that can <laughs> validate that. what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you know when I'm when I'm playing or you know I've had a good game or something like that or even even on social media, you know, people they always ask me, you know, how did you become such a great shooter? You know, kids ask me, you know, what do I have to do to be a great shooter? Like like you are or some something like that, you know. Um, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> shoot the ball as many times as you can. You know, it's just, it's not like you can just say there's the yeah, X, X, Y, Z and boom, you're yeah. going to become a great shooter. And, um, do, do, do people ever, you know, ask you how, how did you become such a great defender? Or how'd you become such a great passer? You know, kids or I don't know. Do you ever deal with anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I get questions every now and then just cause, cause they're not, I mean, we're gonna be honest. We're 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 talking about a white guy playing point guard that's six <laughs> five. So I get a lot of uh, yeah, get a lot of strange looks sometimes whenever probably I'm, whenever yeah. I'm playing. But I mean, whenever whenever I get questions like that, I think the the biggest thing that I can tell people is just that I've. I mean, you just play so much basketball and watch so much basketball. It's just being a student of the game, and, yeah. and I think it goes it goes down to I just really enjoy basketball. So like, whenever there's basketball on, I'm watching it. Whenever I'm playing. I'm having fun, and and I think that freedom, like I talked about really early, uh, even all the way back to high school, that freedom and that that passion and that joy that I have, uh, I think that kind of drives me, and I think the skills will come along with it. The more you play, the more you watch, I think the more you can develop uh, as a player, and and regardless of whatever aspect of the game it is, I think I think you can develop into into whatever kind of player you're trying to be. And obviously there's physical limitations to some of that. I'm never going to be a, a center that's average in 20 and 10. But, right. but I mean, whatever whatever kind of style of play you have, I think the more you you uh, dive into the game and just surround yourself with, with the game, I think it, uh, it benefits you greatly. Yeah, no doubt. And it's like um, a lot of it, I think, is trial and error. You know, how do you become – you know, how do you deliver yeah. certain passes? Well, you try stuff. And yeah. – you try spectacular passes and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't work. And then, you know, you adjust and it's tied into what you, exactly what you just said, you know, basketball IQ thinking the game and I'm having a passion for the game because it's like, um, if you don't have a passion for a game, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to want to be creative and, um, you know, have just going through the motions rather exactly. than really, really playing freely and, and having fun with it. Yeah. Right. And being innovative, you know, like, trying to figure out different ways and like you said you might not be able to to match the physicality of the 610 athletic big men but how can you outsmart him how can you do little crafty things or misdirections or oh there's just so many different things that you can do and um you know i kind of kind of got a little bit off topic of really the question i was talking about but yeah it's just like um there's just so many different ways you can take things so um yeah that wraps up the uh the main portion, the main portion of the podcast, but you know, I like, uh, I like themes around here, you know, it's the shooting theme and themes of three. So I end every, for those of you who aren't familiar, I end all the podcasts with, with a top three in a certain category and, you know, maybe try to tailor that category to my guests. So today, you know, Alex Caruso, um, in college was known as a lockdown defender, um, all SEC defensive team. So today we're going to just go through our lists of the top three NBA defenders, and you know, mm. you can, uh, get, you know, it, it, whatever criteria you want to use 
to yeah, this to is, determine. This that. is a tough. It's a tough, tough group here because I mean, it used to be it used to be pretty cut and dry. Right. Now it's. I mean, there's so many good defenders in the league now. Yeah. So um, why don't you, you? We'll go back and forth. You can you can give me your first one, and then I'll then I'll go with mine, and we'll just go from there. Okay. I think uh, I think number one has to be Kawhi. Yeah. In my, I mean, in my personal opinion, at least the guy, the guy can. He's versatile. Uh, he can guard a lot of positions. He's rangy, uh, and a dude competes. And I think that's that's kind of what puts him at number one. He's always guarding the best player on the other team. Yeah, no doubt. And um, I, I mean, I guess we there would if we were just going. Yeah, I'll, I'll diversify mine a little bit because I don't want to just you know say because obviously Kawhi, you know, anyone who's make anyone in their right mind who's making this list would list Kawhi yeah, Leonard, you yeah. know. Ex- you know, six foot eight, long arms, big yes. hands, extremely athletic. Um, yeah. Can match up with pretty much a five man, or you know, from Demarcus Cousins to Isaiah Thomas, probably, and yeah. everyone in between. Um, and tied into what we talked about earlier, and you know what what makes up the the DNA of a great defender. You know, up to go along with Frank Martin's quote and all that. You know, he, he's got he's got it in his heart. He takes on the challenge night in and night out. There's never a night, pretty much, where you don't see him guarding the primary option on the yeah. on the other side of the ball. So I mean, definitely easy, easy number one, Kawhi Leonard. Um, then my, my my number one, I'll go with is just a guy who he's pretty pretty much the same the same characteristics that make up Kawhi Leonard. Maybe not quite as big or as as athletic, but always takes on the challenge. And that's Tony Allen. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Tony Allen. I mean, just so OG. Yeah. exactly. Exactly, the OG, thirty, thirty-six years old, whatever. Still, still chasing guys off, you know, around screens, and um, still getting up at, in people's at a high and, level too. Yeah, no doubt. Um, defense, you know, is a little, little bit tougher to qualify, quantify, but you know, um, he then, then you know, scoring or whatever. But he he takes on the challenge night in and night out, and he he's the reason why he's continued to stick around the league is because. He's been a, such a great defender while also, you know, figuring it out offensively and figuring out what he needs to do to stay on the court um, to add value on offense and not be a liability while also, you know, pretty much setting himself as a part, a part as one of the best defenders in the league. So who you got yeah. for, for me for number two? Uh, number two, I'm going with uh... – Oh, this one's tough. Okay, you want, you want a little smaller guard? I'm going to go a little smaller guard too. I'm mm-hmm. going Avery Bradley. Yep. Avery Bradley, that guy is tough, man. There's a, I've I've talked to a couple guys that have that have played against him, and they say it is impossible to bring the ball up against Avery Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> he said you cannot, or sorry, impossible to just straight line and bring the ball up. He's going to turn you two or three times. Right. Uh, that's the dude who, when we talk about versatility, he's he's a little smaller for for elite defenders, I think. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he he's his athleticism, his side to side quickness. And his and his hand eye coordination, just the ball skills he has on defense, I think sets him apart. Uh, just watching him play, he's another guy that 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 has the intensity, I think, and the the want to to be a good defender. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, he's come a long way because I mean, he used to be just kind of an athlete and and good defender, and now he's he's a really really good defender, and and his offense is catching up with it. So he's become a pretty good two way player. But but I think yeah, his his defense is is really fun to watch for me. Yeah, no doubt. He um he gets up under guys, you know, when when you maybe get those mm-hmm. six five, six six, six seven wings who think, you know, they can kinda ISO him and just go right over him, he gets up under him and they're like 
doesn't they don't look comfortable <laughs> he makes them no run. man I can testify in. to that. The little guards that jump, that, that climb in you, and, and right. especially for me being a taller point guard, when I have the little guards, man, those guys give me problems, man. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, and and, and then actually, kind of, that kind of rolls nicely into my next one because this guy, Patrick Beverly, um, I think he's pretty much the epitome of that. But something I was reading, I don't remember where I, where I came across this, but you know, you know when you're at basketball camp and they teach you defensive stance, you know, legs wide, um, back straight. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Beverly does not use that stance. Patrick no. Beverly <laughs> bends over at his hips and yeah, he bends does, his man. back over, almost like a like an animal or something. Like he, he yeah. it, it's almost like he put tries to put his forehead on the ball. Um, yeah, dude, yeah. When you talk about climbing into into off, yeah. off, off players, he he epitomizes that. Man. Yeah, because he 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 does not keep like you know they teach, tell you keep your back straight, you know hands back. This guy. He, I think yeah. his goal is chest almost up, to, eyes up. No, yeah, his goal is almost to steal the ball with his forehead or something. Chest because... down, forehead on them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's it's because he he's a his t- style of play is a dying breed these days of guys who you know ball hawks who just make it so difficult. And he, um, I don't, he's not. I don't think he leads the NBA in you know steals, but I'm sure he leads the NBA in like, um, you know, I don't even know, like rips. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, no, how many for rips, sure. Like how, I know what you're talking about. How many or live ball dribble steals or so, something yeah. weird like that. But he just, he just, and he he's got that nasty streak to him. You know, he's yeah, he doesn't he does. give he doesn't care who you are. He's in a he's just gonna go after you. And um, I think that's the common thread you see amongst these defender these elite defenders. You know, they have the physical tools, and then it's combined with that mentality and attitude. Yeah, so, I was gonna say I was gonna second that. I was gonna say that in a second that all these dudes have have one thing in common is that they all. They all have a will and and just like a, a real a real want to like they mm-hmm. want to get their hands dirty they want to get in and they and they take pride in, in stopping other people right and then something else you know the guys some guys you know they they have the the crutch of oh I have such a big offensive load you know um, I can't really I got to rest a little bit on defense but the guy all the guys that we listed they don't they don't subscribe to that at all you know they no. uh, they subscribe to the the, probably the the thought process, you know, I'll rest when I'm on the bench, you know. Uh-huh, um, exactly. There's there's no plays off for those guys, and and there can't be if you're if you're taking on the challenge of guarding the best player, you can't take a playoff because the guys the best players good. in the world they're, they're gonna expose you. Yeah, you will get <laughs> yeah. exposed. So, who who you got for number three to finish it off? Third one, I'm going a uh, uh, personal friend and and homie. I'm going Andre Roberson. I'm going mm-hmm. OKC. I think he's really developed into uh, into one of the the premier defenders, and I think that's he's a lot like Tony Allen, to where his offensive game is is not highlighted. Uh, right. He's he's an athletic guy, rangy, but he makes his money on the defensive end, and I think in order to to start on an NBA team and and not be an offensive weapon per se, I think that's that's a testament to how good you are defensively right. and, and how hard you work and and he's molded into that. Uh, I don't think he was he was at the level he was when he first came in the league. So uh, credit to Andre for working so hard and, and getting to that point. Uh, I'm I'm a really big fan of of watching him defend. Right. Yeah. He's he's figured it out to the you know to the point where he has offensively you know cutting and doing different things rather than you know just being yeah, a, making an impact yeah mm-hmm. for sure rather than just being pigeonholed as oh he doesn't do this or you know he's not a great three-point shooter but he hasn't allowed that to keep him off the floor because his defense is so great so then he's been uh found other ways to contribute offensively and 
and to allow his value as a defender to be highlighted. And yeah. so my last guy, I guess we haven't, you know, um, done someone, you know, a rim protector block, you know, who blocks shots. So I'll do uh, Rudy Gobert. Um, yeah, just to good. just to you know, so we don't sleep on the big men, but uh, yeah, we gotta give some love to the big guys. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, back I don't know when this really happened, but maybe around when Ben Wallace was winning all those you know, uh, defensive player of the years, you know, people just said, oh, whoever has the most steals and most blocks, that's the best defender. And obviously, with the the way the analytics have gone and the way people watch basketball, we know that's not true. You know, yeah, um, there's so 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 much more to it just than you know the counting stats. Um, oh, I had two blocks this game. That doesn't mean you had a great defensive game, you know. Yeah, um, that's you, good you plays, could have made yeah. 400 mistakes and gotten those two blocks. Yeah. But um, but at the end of the day, you know, protecting the rim, and I think the more accurate stat is, you know, the percentage, the field goal percentage of players at the rim when you're the the primary defender. That's the one that's more telling rather than blocks per game. And I, yeah. I don't I don't know what they are, but I'm sure Rudy Gobert is up there. He just Seven two, God knows what his wingspan is, but um, I think he's I think he's a really pivotal piece for them too. That's yeah. that's how they've been so much success this year. Is obviously Gordon Hayward, George Hill, and the rest of the guys are playing really well, but they have an anchor inside. Mm-hmm. You know they they don't they don't get scored on in the paint. So if teams don't shoot well, uh, they have a hard time beating them. And I think that's that's a credit to to him being a, a defensive uh, power inside. Right, and it's kind of how we talked about earlier. You said, you know, a shooter kind of makes the other team change their game plan um, to not, you know, not be able to help off them or, and makes your life easier. Well, some teams kind of have to change their game plan if there's a guy who's just protecting the rim mm-hmm. and pretty much eliminating those, you know, easy layups or if even if you're getting layups off. Altering, yeah. yeah. Altering, so. For sure. There's just so many different aspects to it and – I could have gone a whole bunch of different ways, and so could you have. But those are that wraps up our top three. Uh, you know, we got NBA defenders, and uh, that pretty much wraps up all I got for you, Alex. Um, really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing with uh, sharing with the listeners what you've got. And uh, best of luck the rest of this way, and hoping for the continued success for your team and yourself the rest of the season. For sure, man. I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun, man. All right, Thanks my man. It. We'll talk Thanks soon. All right. Sounds good, Max. All the best. See you, bud.